Hey folks, we are back here. I am very excited to be joined by Jim Johnson, the president of the University of Alaska. How are you? Good morning. I'm great. I'm a graduate. You, I'm a graduate of the University of Alaska Anchorage. Well, so congratulations and thank you. I'm your guy. Yeah, you are. So I got to talk about first. You've been here a lot. Uh, it's a session going on. The budget mm-hmm. to the university has been drastically reduced under the governor's budget. Uh, you a few weeks ago testified before the Senate Finance Committee, and you had what I would call the most stone-cold opening uh, I've ever seen. Can you tell me a little bit about the quote you? Well, yeah, it uh, was from the uh, Supreme Allied Commander in World War I, uh, a French marshal, Ferdinand Foch. And it was something like, my center is collapsing, my left is retreating, situation perfect, I will attack. Yeah. And so... That's kind of how it feels right now. <laughs> I, just, I, just, I just I was watching it and I heard that and I said, this is going to be good. Yeah. Well, I let it sit a little bit too. Uh, and, you know, I tend to present in a pretty fast way. And I wanted to just see the reaction to that line. Uh, because actually my testimony that day before Senate Finance followed OMB's testimony that morning. Uh, right. So yeah, that's I, right. I thought it was. I thought it was an appropriate quote. I thought it was very good. <laughs> so I was reading your bio. You started in 2015 as president, right. and you yeah. have um, a background private sector as well. You were with mm-hmm. ACS. Yes. And um, you'd worked in the university before too, right? Mm-hmm. And I was also with Doyon Limited as well. Oh, okay. And before that, I was actually with the state of Alaska. I came to Alaska on the back of the MV Matanuska in the summer of 1983. Uh, chasing a college uh, sweetheart. And, oh, nice. Uh, yeah, and uh, she's sure. now my wife of 35 years. And uh, But we lived here in Juneau for a number of years and then uh, moved to uh, Fairbanks in 96 and working for the university at the time. So I ended up as the chief of staff to the president back then and then left for the private sector. Worked for Doyon Limited, one of Alaska's uh, mm-hmm. great uh, regional native corporations, and then Alaska Communications in Anchorage. So I was out in the private sector for about seven years. Uh, and really wanted to learn about and uh, the, really the business community in Alaska and what really drives Alaska's economy so that eventually if I did get back to the university in a role like this, then I would be better prepared to really serve uh, the state's you know, economic development interests. And I saw on your, on your bar you've, you've been on a multitude of boards and commissions, yeah. post-secondary education. It's kind of it's a lot. I, I, need to, I need to be on that level one day. It's yeah. a, a, lot, a lot of... <laughs> well, a lot of those things, Jeff, certainly reflect my interests. So service on the Alaska Commission on Post-Secondary Education, the Western Interstate Commission on Higher Education, and those are both gubernatorial appointments. Um, but others are really statutory, so they're in the law. Uh, Denali Commission, for example, is in, in federal law that the president of the university mm-hmm. is there, or the Alaska Aerospace Corporation is another example uh, of, uh, of a board I sit on. Do you ever, do you ever watch the uh, rocket launches? Uh, I haven't. I want to go. I want to go. It's on my list of things to well, see. And we had a board meeting just yesterday, and they are a real success story in terms of really shifting from a, a, a dependent corporation on the state to a more independent, and then really trying to move into a commercial space and uh, do more commercial launches. So it's really a, a, a great story. 
So when you were uh, when you were chasing your now wife, what were you, what were you doing before that? Where were you at before? 83? Well, I was in grad school uh, in at the University of Chicago studying political science, uh, mostly political theory, and before that at uh, University of California studying my, political theory. My parents are both uh, born and raised in Waukegan. Oh, uh, okay, right yeah. near right near Chicago. Yeah. So when I was a kid, we used to go there all the time for Thanksgiving and okay. spend a lot of time there. Well, I moved around a lot as a kid. My dad was in the army. And so wherever there were tanks, um, that's where you, we lived. You were born in Germany, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was sort of cold war stuff. And so uh, my dad and mom were there in the late fifties and early sixties. So I was born in Augsburg. My brother was born there and we were really blessed to have, uh, I lived there for seven of my first nine years. Did you ever run into Putin maybe? <laughs> <laughs> no, but it was really interesting back then. The, the Russians used to line up all their tanks on what was then the East German, West German border. Mm -hmm. And my dad would go out and have a look at them uh, and go, wow, they have a lot of tanks. They have a lot more tanks than we have. It's incredible how, uh, you know, in the 89, just how quickly that came. I mean, it was in mm -hmm. like very quickly, it accelerated the, yeah. the breakdown of the, uh, you know, East and West Germany. Mm -hmm. um, the whole period of time in the late 80s, early 90s, just Europe and Russia, Soviet Union, mm -hmm. which is incredible. But it's also interesting there how things, you know, what changes, but th how things, some things don't change. I was there uh, this past summer in Bavaria and stayed in a 12th century castle. Wow. I mean, think about it. Yeah, no, they and have it's a, not a fancy castle at all. But Still, it's a castle. I it's mean. a castle, and it has a moat, and the, the baron is a retired medical doctor. His wife is a retired teacher, and it's been in their family for was, 500 years. Was he around? Was he like... Oh, yeah, thinking? absolutely, yeah. Uh, Do you dress him as Baron? <laughs> Monfred. <Yeah. laughs> it always, yeah. you know, kind of going forward, speak, speaking of how things don't change, when I was in yeah. Berlin the first time in 06, I took a trip to Europe and I spent a month in, I took German in school for a mm -hmm. long time. And uh, it's just, you could still see the differences between East and West uh, Berlin. Even today, you can still see the architectural differences and, you know, that was what, 30, you know, 30 years ago. Yeah. Soviet block architecture. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's still, it's still there. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, I want to talk a little bit about the university. I mean, obviously, the, the sure. budget um, mm -hmm. is is a big issue for you guys. Sure. So the letter that got sent out, I guess it was last week, mm -hmm. to the students and faculty, um, it was interesting because there's two different kind of things people are saying, depending on where you sit, mm -hmm. that it's a 41% reduction, which it is a 41% reduction from the state's right. um, contribution. Mm -hmm. But they say when you loop in all the money, including you know tuition and all that, it's actually a 17%. Mm -hmm. um, but but it is forty one percent from the state's right. contribution. So it seems like they're kind of trying to, depending where you're sitting, a little playing with the numbers. Yeah, I uh, actually sat down at a church on Sunday and sat down with a, a fourth grader who is doing division now. I know, I know this kid and his parents. And so I sat with him and I put the numbers down on a piece of paper and I asked him which one is bigger uh, and, you know, in percentage terms. And he, he picked it correctly. So he figured that, uh, that $134 million cut from the state's 327 is a bigger portion than $134 million cut from uh, nearly $900 million. But I think it's really important to note uh, that that uh, the, the 327 is the only money we get from the state. So the state cut is absolutely 41% period end of report. Yeah. It's very simple so arithmetic. The 17% uh, the, the is of the money that we go compete for. And in fact, because of, of the, uh, we have to go get that money. Our, if our state budget share is cut, our ability to generate those other revenues dramatically has decreased so there will be an impact on enrollment right, and tuition you, you and impact 
You need staff for admissions and for all the well, and our research, yeah. Research, I mean, our research guys. uh, We put a one for every one dollar we put into research, we generate six dollars. So if we reduce the amount we put into research, we're going to get less external money. And those guys are super competitive. They're like big game hunters, uh, our researchers. And, you know, we don't fund them for 12 months. Uh, We give them a little bit of salary and they go make their own money. Uh, you know, they kill their own meat, as they say. Yeah. And, uh, and, and so if we have less to invest in those competitors, those hunters, if you will, uh, then they won't bring back as much. Uh, so that, that cut um, will have impact on the other sources of funds. So the, the letter I, I asked um, some people at the university and they had said that they couldn't recall a time a governor, had, is that kind of unprecedented or has a governor done that before where they've emailed all the students and faculty? Not in my time at the university. Uh, has that happened? Yeah, I thought, you know, from from my perspective, the most interesting part of the letter was when he kind of blamed Walker for the uh, the, the deficits. You know, it's, I think it goes back a lot further than that. But mm-hmm. um, so the other question I had was, you know, there's University of Alaska, Anchorage, Fairbanks, mm-hmm. Southeast, and there's yeah. all the satellite campuses. Right. But if you focus on the main three, um, a question I've kind of wondered and other people have asked, why not just have one University of Alaska with, you know, a campus in Anchorage, a campus in Fairbanks campus in, in South Southeast. Can you explain kind of why that, I mean, is that a good idea or why that maybe not is a, a good idea? Well, there are pros and cons uh, to it. Right now we are three universities and the transition to one university would be extremely complex, particularly from an accreditation standpoint. And we've done studies of that. Uh, it is an option that is on the table. The Board of Regents is definitely considering that. Uh, but there is a lot of complexity. Uh, there is, uh, you know, uh, there's an upside in terms of simplicity and and unification across the entire state. Uh, there is also a, a downside, though, in terms of, of the distinctive missions of each one of the universities. So you'd end up with less unique excellence and less focus in a particular. Uh, aspect of higher education. So with three universities, you have a big research graduate education university with a focus on science, technology, engineering, math, etc. at Fairbanks. You have a big urban workforce focused university in Anchorage. So there isn't that redundancy huh. there. And in, in Southeast here, you've got what's large, you know, with Ketchikan and Sitka, it's largely, you know, big community college type mission that UAS performs in addition to maritime t- trades training. Um, so, you know, there's, there are pros and cons of both. Uh, and there isn't a simple solution. Uh, Alaska is huge geographically, as you know, and there's a lot of regionalism uh, in Alaska. So students frequently don't move from Fairbanks to Anchorage or Anchorage to Fairbanks. You know, they stay nearby. And so that weighs into the, the calculus as well. And then ultimately, if the goal is to save money here, if there is a significant budget cut to provide excellence in higher education for our people, uh, and to save money, there may be other ways to save money without moving to a single accreditation. When we asked the folks who accredit us down in Seattle uh, two years ago, three years ago now, uh, what it would take, and they said it would be about a four-year, five-year process, and it's the first time they would have ever dealt with that. So there's huge uncertainty. And that's something you don't want to risk is your accreditation. Yeah. Uh, because if you risk it, then you're basically done. So... Um- the university system is in our constitution, correct? Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. So um, 
you know, can you talk a little bit about that and how that was structured and sure. you know, why we're how we're you know how we're here right now? Yeah, well, it's pretty simple. Uh, you know, during the Constitutional Convention back in 1956, which was um, conducted at the University of Alaska uh, in Fairbanks at the time, uh, and they uh, established the University of Alaska. They established the Board of Regents. Uh, they said there'll be a president of the Board of Regent uh, of the of the university, and that's pretty much it. Uh, so it's it's out there. But, there are Supreme Court decisions subsequently that have uh, put a little bit more flesh around the role and relationship of the university to the executive branch and the legislative and judicial. So while it's not a co-equal branch like the legislature is to the executive and to the judiciary, the university is separate from the executive branch. So we're not like the Department of Transportation, uh-huh. for example, uh, because of the uh, autonomy in the Constitution and the really important responsibility and authority of the Board of Regents to lead the university. And it's a land grant. It is a land grant university, which is a designation we get from the Congress. So in 1915, uh, the Alaska Agricultural College and School of Mines was established. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. So um, that was done in 1915. And we became a land-grant university. Now, unfortunately, because of history and our state's constitution, uh, we didn't get the land we were entitled to under the federal law. Uh, Oh, really? Yeah. What's uh, up with that? What's going on with that? What's going on with that? Well, basically... our land? (laughs) Right. So we were due about 500,000 acres under federal law. We ended up getting 110,000 acres. Uh, That's way too low. It's way too low. Uh, And what happened, it's a a series of... of, uh, Happenings. One is the Great Depression. You know, so the cost of actually going up to Alaska, surveying the land and conveying the land was too great for the federal government. Then we had, actually, I should roll in there. Had World War One. Had World War Two. Couple, couple, a couple um, of big, small you know, event, yeah, major a couple of, of events. Then statehood happened. And the conveyances hadn't happened by statehood. And the federal government said, hey, university, you get you have a rightful land grant. You get your land from the state because we're giving the state a whole bunch of land. You get it from them. Oh, no, really? And then we're going to abrogate your federal rights to land. So in the very first state legislature uh, back in the late 50s, early 60s, they passed a land grant bill for the university. A million acres got vetoed by the governor. Uh, so that was it, du- double the 500,000. Yeah. And then there have been various attempts by the state legislature to grant us land over the well, years. Why, who was the governor? Was it e- Egan. Egan? Why did he veto it? I think because it, I don't know exactly, but I suspect it's for the same reason why the Supreme Court of the state of Alaska in 2009 said that it was unconstitutional for the legislature to give us state land. And there's a provision in the state constitution which prohibits the dedication of funds. And the Supreme Court interpreted that to apply to this case because the reason we were going to we were getting the land and the purpose for it was to raise funds, and so it's illegal for, to dedicate funds. Have, have they gone right? back? Has the university gone back to the federal government and said, "Hey, you, uh, we're having a problem here. We need our land." We have Jeff, and we are talking. Uh, and this is one area where I really appreciate the governor's support. Uh, so Commissioner Feige and DNR, the governor has been very supportive. We've been back. We were in D.C. just last week uh, talking with our congressional delegation, Senator Sullivan, Murkowski, Mr. Young, uh, folks in the Department of Interior. Uh, and we are uh, I think we've made uh, great progress over the last couple of years in coming up with a construct that would enable us to get our rightful so, land grant. So if we got if you got it now, it's over 100 years. Uh-huh. From when it was cause exactly, yeah, and the way I've put it with the governor is that, you know, even if you gave me a gold mine, I wouldn't be able to make money from it tomorrow. But governor, ten years from now, 
we will look back. So in 2029, we'll look back and say, glad we did that back in 2019, are, are you, 2020. Are you guys asking for any, any interest or any, any extra land for the hundred years of not having it? I'd ask <laughs> no. for 500. I said, we, we, need, we, need, we, need, we need the million. We need the million there. The deal. Well, it's, it's all about the value of the land, of course. So, and, just a, a little bit about the land grant. So that's yeah. kind of a um, system that was set up later in the country's existence. And that was... 1862. Congress... Uh, Kind of yeah, uh, President Lincoln back in 1862 signed what's called the Morrill Act. And so lots of land-grant universities across the country. And the whole idea was to spur a development of America and the West in particular by giving universities land. The universities would develop that land to generate revenue that they would use to educate the people who would then build the economy. So that was the whole idea. idea. It was a superb idea, 1862. And so five years after that, of course, Alaska is purchased, right, in 1867. By his uh, his Secretary of State. That's exactly right. So there are really, really important things that happened in the 1860s here in Alaska. Uh, And here we are 150 plus years later, still dealing with these very issues. So I want to talk a little bit about the, the makeup of the University of Alaska. Mm-hmm. So I came from New Mexico mm-hmm. in 2004 when I was 19, and I took advantage of the WUI, the right. Western Undergraduate Exchange, yes. where if you're a Western um, resident of a Western state, you can kind of go to another Western school if they participate, and you get a, mm-hmm. a discount on tuition. Uh, is that still kind of happening, WUI? Definitely, yeah. And, and how, like how many folks come out from out of state? How many... From in-state, and also maybe talk about the whammy a little bit. I know that's... Yeah, that's cool. uh, wooey, whammy, witchy, etc. Witchy is a compact... Nice acronym. Yeah. Witchy is the organization of the 15 western states plus a, uh, a Pacific island, uh, and, and we collaborate on many, many things, including these undergraduate exchange programs. I mean, for I, me, it was great, because I, I was yeah. 19, I wanted to move, move from New Mexico, and mm-hmm. I looked at the wooey, and I really wanted yeah. to come to Alaska, and it was, for me, it was a a way to come to go to university and, and get mm-hmm. a much, you know, I think it was 150% right. of the tuition, which was, you know, way better than whatever the out-of-state would have been. Uh, yes. So it's still there. It's still very, very successful. Uh, we actually, uh, we're a net exporter. Uh, so more Alaskans take advantage of it by going to schools in the West than people in the West like yourself. Yeah, I went to University, uh, of, Me- here. I went to university of New Mexico for a year before mm-hmm. I moved here. And yep. I met uh, several actually Alaskans yeah. that were doing so that. So it's still in place and, and working well, particularly in areas where we don't have programs and other Western states do have programs. So that's what it's intended to encourage. So instead of us building a medical school, you know, our folks can study elsewhere. And that sort of swings it over to uh, whammy. Uh, whammy is not associated with wooey or witchy, but it's an arrangement. Sounds like it. Sounds like it. Yeah, it's an arrangement between Alaska, the state of Alaska, and the University of Washington, and the University of Alaska Anchorage, uh, where uh, our students can study medicine at the University of Washington, and they get uh, economic incentives to do that, and particularly if they stay in Alaska uh, to practice medicine. And it's been an extremely successful uh, program. Uh, here for Alaska. So the return has been great. Otherwise, you know, we'd either have no medical training in Alaska or our own medical school, which is extremely there's, expensive. There's been some talk from, from private people and individuals about maybe building a medical school here, I've heard. Mm-hmm. Is that kind of, I know that would be very probably very expensive, but is it, that something it, we've looked at? Or? It would be a, a very expensive. It's, it's not something we're looking at right now. I have had some consideration of it because there are revenues that come from medical schools. Uh, they have clinical practices. Right. And so patients actually go to them. I mean, some of the biggest and best 
hospitals in the world are academic medical centers. The University of Washington, for example, a lot of Alaskans have received care there. uh, And there are many others uh, like that. Mayo Clinic uh, as an educational institution as well as a a place where people get medical care. Okay, we only got a few minutes left because I know you have another meeting. Uh, Mm -hmm. Maybe uh, tell me something really maybe fascinating fact about the University of Alaska that maybe makes it stand out from other colleges or universities around the country Uh, well yeah i mean we're number one in the world in arctic research that's true yeah no i mean mean, that's not a trivial fact it's not harvard and it's not yale and it's not berkeley or university of washington it is the university of alaska fairbanks in particular uaa does some as well but it's number one on the planet and that's a really wonderful wonderful thing when i went uh for the general election we profiled uh, some races in Fairbanks. Uh, mm-hmm. My web, Alaska landmine. We went up there and did some video profiles, and one of them was the Adam Wool race. Yeah, and we filmed his part um, at the University of Alaska Fairbanks, and we were talking to some professors who happened to be sitting next to us and mm-hmm. uh, outside. And there was a big rocket thing we were yeah. looking at, but they were telling us about some of the, you know, I mean, the rocket stuff and the high altitude stuff, like some of this. It's stuff awesome. That, I mean, it's just crazy. Like, what, yeah, I, I mean, we've got a. A research vessel that uh, you know operates all over the world, uh, but it's funded by the national federal government, and because of our expertise, we operate that vessel. Uh, we have the only NASA-funded rocket range at a university in the country, and so we fire rockets into the atmosphere and do research uh, on that. We have huge contracts with NOAA and NASA, pulling data down from satellites, and we yeah. can do it more frequently than any other university around. We have more drones than any university in the United States. Uh, which is super, super cool. Uh, so. Last question. I yeah. have to ask you about HARP. Uh-huh. So that's associated with the university a bit, right? Uh, yeah. So. Uh, we are, we uh, have been in conversations, discussions, negotiations with the Air Force to take uh, the HARP facility. We have already received the equipment, uh, this uh, auroral research equipment, and uh, we're in conversations with them about the land uh, that sits under that. But yeah. It's a really interesting facility out at Kokona, uh, Alaska. I know, mm-hmm. I know the uh, Vice. Do you watch Vice News? It's kind no, of a, it's not HBO. It's an alternative kind of news thing. But mm-hmm. they they did a thing on Harp last year and about mm-hmm. some of the kind of crazy conspiracy stuff with it. And it's just so funny some of the messages they get and some of the people who show up. And it's yeah, a, it's, it's, it's wild. It's, it, actually, it Mark Bankage's brother is really the guy who's been pushing that. Uh, he wrote a book, Angels Angels Play Harps, or something, but it's sold like a million copies. It's, yeah, it's wild. Well, it's fairly a powerful uh, instrument. I've been out there and, and haven't been there when it's been doing its work, but uh, have seen some of the product of it. But basically, they can simulate an aurora in the ionosphere, and then they can do research as opposed to waiting for the aurora to be active to do research uh, in that space. They can actually create it uh, and then do research. It's very, very important from a national defense standpoint, weather prediction, etc., telecommunications, to be able to understand the effects of the aurora uh, on satellite uh, uh, telecommunication. And so it's, from again, from a security standpoint, it's critically important to know if that rocket is coming at us, wanna, what, wanna, what wanna. impact on our ability to identify it, track it, and intercept it does the Aurora have? And then we need to be able to counter that, right? Oh, yeah, it's fascinating. It's pretty cool. Yeah. And there's a lot of fascinating research that hap- is happening. But there is opportunity for students in Alaska. You experienced it when you came to Alaska, Jeff, from New Mexico. But we're relatively small. I mean, we're a small state, right? Geographically, we're yeah. huge. But in terms of the population, we're small. So the opportunities our students have to for internships with BP or with NGOs uh, to do undergraduate research on super cool stuff is just unparalleled in the country. Uh, so I think that's one of the really special uh, things about our university. 
Yeah, no, I, I think other, we can talk maybe another podcast, but I think mm-hmm. some of the exchanges, when I was here, there was a big exchange with a school in Russia, in Russia and Habarovsk. Now they've kind of uh, pivoted to China, but some of the uh, stuff happening in, with the economics program in, in Anchorage with, mm-hmm. I mean, my old professor, Paul Johnson, he was a chair. He, they're going to China a lot. We have an exchange, and there's a lot of kind of cross-cultural stuff happening, and it's really kind of incredible, some of the stuff that's going on. Well, too, uh, the Arctic nations uh, have a University of the Arctic, and so there's a huge amount of communication and collaboration among uh, the Arctic nations and and the the universities in the Arctic, which is really cool, too. Well, uh, President uh, Dr. Johnson, right? Thanks, PhD, right? Yeah. Appreciate you doing the podcast, and maybe we can do it again sometime. I'm happy to. It's really fun. No, the listeners are going to enjoy this one. Okay, thanks a lot, Jeff. uh, Appreciate it. Anytime. Folks, if you have any ideas for podcasts or want to do a podcast, get a hold of me, and we'll we'll talk to you next time. Landline.